Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Chad, and I, unfortunately, am all alone today. Evan is taking a much-deserved break. He is on a vacation visiting his father. He was actually going to try and do this episode and call in and record some uh, probably what was going to be not very good audio on his cell phone, and I was just like, man, take a break. You're hanging out with family. Don't hop on. So I rejected his offer of helping me out and just told him to hang out with family because he doesn't get to hang out and see his dad and his sister very often. So I think it's better that he takes the time and spend it with his family because he just doesn't get to see him very often as he lives in a different state so we will miss you so much evan our hearts are with you all but hopefully your heart is with your family as it should be and we all respect your decision to hang out with them though you will be missed a ton that aside you are listening to the monday morning minute my name is chad and we are going to be going through some fun stuff kind of what i'm reading i'm gonna kind of movie out a little bit as i watch a bunch of movie trailers i want to talk about some of them with you and uh, just kind of have some fun talking about some of the books that i'm reading here so without further ado this week in fictional news So, I watched a bunch of movie trailers, as I just mentioned, and we're going to go through some of them, as some of them I think are super lame, and some of them I think are pretty cool. So, the first one, we weirdly have a lot of Godzilla movies coming. We have this one called Monarch, The Legacy of Monsters. It looks like a very classic Godzilla movie. There's another one, Godzilla and Kong, coming out. So lots of Godzilla. Um, You know, this is kind of like Pacific Rim, right? Like, is it a good movie? Eh. No, not really. But is it pumped full of millions and millions of dollars of awesome special effects? Yeah. Yeah, it really is. So it's going to be fun, even though the quality of movie judged on like a typical movie scale is probably not very good. It's going to be a fun romp, just like Pacific Rim. So I think regardless of however many new Godzilla movies are coming out, I think both of them, there might be a third. I'm not sure. There were so many Godzilla things. (laughs) I think all of them, regardless of the number, are going to be pretty interesting and fun. There's a new shark movie, which every few years we need a new uh, Sharknado or some sort of you know megatron or megatron mega mega something the meg there we go the meg the megalodon it's what the uh, movie is about is the megalodon the rumored and extinct uh terror of the deeps the gigantic shark this i don't think is about the meg but it is about scary sharks that kill you and eat you which i'm always down for a good shark movie being a sailor as i am i always take my friends or uh partners at the time to these type of movies thinking like oh it's like a sailing movie and i'll inspire them to like join me in my sailing goals and then which i have goals of like sailing around the world well maybe not across like open oceans but i want to buy a sailboat that i can live on and uh, spend some time sailing around little island chains and things like that and so i always try to inspire people that are close to me to want to do it with me and end up taking them to really horrific (laughs) ocean movies that end with like someone being attacked by sharks or someone being stranded out in the middle of the ocean in like horrific ways running out of water and like eating their friends and stuff and it always of course serves the exact opposite of my goal which is to inspire them to have this lust for sailing and always makes them think like why would i subject myself to a situation where that can occur that was horrific so i'm not very good at uh, inspiring friends and partners to want to sail with me but hey 
I'm always down for a good shark movie, so bring it on, Deep Fear. So next on our list here of upcoming movies that I watched the trailer of is one called The Electric State. It's coming out in this next year in 2024, and it's based off the graphic novel by Simon Stallenhag. And although I have never read it personally, I have seen some of Simon's artwork, and it is visually stunning, like truly an amazing artist. And some scenes from the movie have been released and seem to match up to the visual style, and even some scenes seem to be exactly replicated from the graphic novel to the movies so i have really high hopes for this movie adaptation it looks super fun i definitely recommend watching the trailer for it because it just looks visually stunning a cool storyline and unique and cool and every time that they do an adaptation from a graphic novel i'm always down to at least check it out uh, even if sometimes we are very disappointed (laughs) but this one hopefully will not be a disappointment Uh, i did watch the new aquaman called the new aquaman on the last kingdom trailer and while Aquaman as a superhero is fully the lamest it actually looks like super duper visually stunning and at the very least who doesn't love Jason Momoa running around shirtless and kicking lots of watery aqua ass Uh, that's just a good time always and at the very least we get to see Jason Momoa shirtless running around being aqua attractive so (laughs) that's always going to be a good time uh last week i mentioned that i watched the dune movie again as it's out on netflix i watched it in the trailer when it first came out and wow i watched the new dune trailer man it looks so good i'm so excited i will say that the dune movie is probably if not my favorite definitely in the top three list let's call it of favorite movies that i have seen in the last couple years and the dune trailer for the new one looks freaking amazing uh looks like we're gonna get a little bit more into like paul atreides as he comes into himself as a leader and lover uh in this movie and uh we'll move along his storyline quite quite a bit it seems like as long his path of fulfilling his prophesied destiny and uh leading the uprising on old arrakis 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 the name whatever the name of the planet is arrakis arachid arakin arachid something very close to this arrakis i have to look it up now arrakis it is in fact arrakis nice and that is of course based off of the series by frank herbert that is loved by very many i have not read personally but uh one of these days we'll get to it just like finishing the wheel of time series which i got six or seven maybe even eight books in at one point during my reading career uh i have never picked up dune but i've heard so many good things about it i have a friend named duncan who i grew up with who was in fact named after the character in the book series duncan who is awesome so I should probably pick that book series up and read it at some point to fully be a rounded reader of fantasy and science fiction. But the series looks awesome. Um, two things about it. one Well, one thing about the movie and one about the trailer. Uh, one about the movie is this: it, it has the best display of scale like it shows really big things really well and i don't really know how to describe them doing that but just if you've seen the movie you know exactly what i'm talking about their depiction of scale and the size of things is amazing and impressive and just kind of blows your mind a little bit so i recommend watching it on the biggest screen possible because you will be um, benefited for every inch of additional screen that you can get on there i have a Uh, projector which is the best way to watch a movie i have to admit and it's just like half of my room 
I can a wall, half of the wall of one of the walls in my room, I can turn into a screen and the people are larger than they are in real life. It's just an awesome way to play games and watch movies, especially when it comes to Dune, which the scale is just so amazing. And the last thing I'll say about the trailer is Christopher Walken is in the new Dune movie and he looks so awesome. I wish I had a good Christopher Walken impression. Um, so I could be like, so, you know, Dune is going to be a real great flick, but I don't. So that's all I'm going to say on that. <laughs> um, the next one on our list here is Craven the Hunter, um, which seems like a kind of superhero type movie. Somehow old Craven, if that is in fact the main character's name, um, I'm assuming somehow he gets lion blood into him while getting ravaged by this lion that he was supposed to kill. His dad's like, shoot it, shoot it. And then he kind of like wimps out, I guess. Or maybe he like doesn't want to kill the lion because um, he's like righteous and like what did that lion do to him, you know? <laughs> well, he kind of gets ravaged by this. This all occurs in the trailer, so it's not a spoiler. But he appears to get ravaged by this lion, just like ripped to pieces, and uh, somehow this earns him, our young protagonist, the scorn of his father by not killing the lion as he should have. And also he gets crazy hunter lion powers by like getting some of the blood of the lion maybe in his bloodstream or something. And while I've been trying to just like eat all sorts of like predator blood and hang out around like nuclear facilities and chemical testing plants as much as possible, just like hoping for a spill um, that gets on me and gives me powers, I have never personally managed to get powers from blood or from chemicals so kind of disappointed in that but hey craven the hunter turns out to not be craven i think in the long run oh i'm just now getting the name got it craven it's spelled with a k in the movie but of course you know the word craven means like a coward if you're craven so i guess that's probably going to mean that he's actually not a coward wow that's clever not clever um anyway don't go around trying to inject yourself with predator blood or hang out around chemical processing plants because i can tell you from experience it has not lent me any magical powers as of yet so that's kind of a disappointment but the movie hopefully will not be a disappointment and looks full of action-packed animal savage scenes of like a lot of violence and and i gotta say you know and it seems like this maybe more in a general sense is happening in the movie world we tend to be on the cusp of a new wave of superhero movies that are a lot more gritty and have a lot like like maybe rated R movies for grit and violence, which I personally am a big fan of the quippy Marvel days of, uh, you know, these like funny little like not taking this battle seriously, even though all our lives hang in the balance sort of thing. Um, it's just kind of old and I'm just tired of these little quippy one line Marvel universe things. Eh. I'm over it. So bring on the gritty, violent movies. You know, this trailer portrayed old Craven snapping, like, you know, one of those animal traps that you step on, the claws, like, ching, like, come together and, like, break someone's leg or a poor animal's if they get stuck into it. Shows him, like, whipping that into someone's face. And, like, hopefully that guy was, like, a hunter or a, uh, not a hunter. Hunters aren't all bad, but a, um, a, what's the word I'm looking for? Someone who hunts animals they shouldn't. A poacher. There we go. Uh, shows hopefully the person receiving, uh, on the receiving end of those snapping jaws of the trap is a poacher. So looks like a gritty action movie. I'm looking forward to it. We have another one uh, that I was 
actually really looking forward to called Rebel Moon. Looks like half sci-fi, half other world monsters that look like classic fantasy creatures, such as like griffins and super trippy looking aliens. They have like sword, hand-to-hand combat, but also space battles and laser guns. There also seems to be a lightsaber-wielding drider, which is a half-person, half-spider creature. Imagine like a centaur, but replace the horse bit with a tarantula, and you'll be close to what a drider is. Um, and that thing's wielding lightsabers, which, while opening up probably a potential lawsuit with Star Wars, seemed no less cool because of it. So looking forward to Rebel Moon as well. Uh, there was one called Awareness that looks like another grittyish looking superhero movie where a young protagonist who has experimented on now being hunted for the formula in his blood. Um, kind of a pretty tired and used storyline, but still might be cool. As I said, it's kind of uh, airing on the side of gritty, dark superhero which i like and i hope that i am right in that that is the next wave of superhero movies because i'm here for that for sure uh there does appear to be a revamp of the hunger games movies uh this one called the hunger games the ballad of songbirds and snakes um, which seems like a poetic twist on the classic books and of course movies that they've made so it seems like a fresh take on the series has some big name actors in it looked pretty cool won't lie to you there so looking forward to the new hunger games movies not sure exactly when the release date is but they're working on it there is a new deadpool coming out that interestingly enough is kind of playing with the concept of parallel worlds and there's some hints there's some rumory rumors going around that at some point there will be like a harry potter crossover and daniel radcliffe is rumored to have a pretty large cameo in the new Deadpool, like actually being Harry Potter, which if all of that is true, it's all rumor at this point, but like fairly pretty, pretty solid rumor, which if true would be the largest role that Daniel Radcliffe has had since the Harry Potter franchise. So that'll be interesting. And of course, maybe not so awesome because he's still playing Harry Potter. He just cannot seem to escape that role, which is great for him in one sense, because man, uh, those movies will probably never be old and will go down in the hearts of many as some of the most nostalgia filled movies and the story you know that is told of all time but also he's kind of locked into it you know like uh he just will never not be harry potter in everyone's mind and that kind of limits him because he was so young when he filmed those movies so hopefully he can at some point break free of the harry potter that he is in everyone's minds and he can expand his movie career a little bit though he probably doesn't have to with all of the money that he made in like his teen years with those movies so maybe what do i know he probably just enjoying his life soaking in his scrooge mcduck basement full of harry potter doubloons or galleons i guess we should say (laughs) and enjoying his life and potentially will be a uh playing a large cameo as harry potter in the new deadpool so that'll be interesting to see if that indeed is a thing Looks like we have uh, a new Willy Wonka, like a prequel that's coming out. And while Willy Wonka has been done time and time and time again, and like really is nothing new, and I would normally just label as like a money grab trying to capitalize on the title name of Willy Wonka, it has Timothy Chalamet. So like, I'm going to watch it because Timothy Chalamet is a beautiful man and a wonderful actor and is a freaking awesome Willy Wonka and a freaking awesome person. So, man, like I said, I would normally have a lot of just like, ugh, looks like they're going for another money grab. And these people who should just walk into Barnes & Noble and, like, see all the stories out there that haven't been turned into movies and should just pick one. Um, and it's just lame that they're picking Willy Wonka, which has been made, like, 18 different times. 
yes, all of that is true. But at the same time, it's also true that Timothy Chalamet is in it, and Timothy Chalamet is just awesome, and I kind of have a crush on him a little bit. So I'm going to be watching that. So pretty stoked on that. Uh, we have Rocket Raccoon. It's the raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. <sighs> He's getting like an origin story spinoff. And man, ugh. <laughs> Like, why? Why? Again, walk into a Barnes and Noble, my people, and pick any book off of the fantasy or horror or sci-fi or anything shelf and make that movie. Why do we need all of these reboots and spinoffs and retakes of the old? And I get they're running all of these titles through like a risk meter. Obviously, a story that's already been made into a movie has like a lower risk if it was indeed a successful movie. And so they're like, oh, the reboot of this is safer, less risk as like a business investment from that standpoint than something that has not been tried at all. But man, it just seems like especially with TikTok and book talk being a thing and these like books that have become extremely popular over the last few years in the, you know, everyday parlance of uh, the average person, the average reader. It seems like there's a lot of stories out there that could be turned into movies that would do extremely successful, even based off of their title. Because uh, So, like, low-risk investments for these movie producers that have not been made into books. So, hopefully, we'll see more of those. As opposed to Rocket Raccoon getting a spinoff, which might be good. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it just seems at this point that it is not only milking it, but, like, super milking it. You know? Like, come on. I don't know. I guess that's all I have to say. Well, I, I will say on that that, yeah, I loved the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. And it was, in fact, my favorite of all time movie attending experience. So I went uh, I worked for this software company for like eight years and I used to go to all of these trade shows, these conferences. And I worked on a bunch. I worked on the sales team and the project management team. And there's their business management specialist managing our partner relationships. And as such, I was I was one of the few people in the company who could go to these trade shows and do like the whole thing i had like the hardware knowledge to set up the computers and i had the software knowledge to set up the software and i had the sales knowledge to be able to talk about its features and benefits and sell it and then i had the business relationships to like talk to the ace hardware executives and build the relationship there so the uh, point of that being i got to go to a lot of these trade shows just by myself and after so many trade shows i developed this tradition which on the last day typically like five hours before i had to go and hop on some flight home um because flights are never at like noon on a day where you get to sleep in it's like for some reason at like six in the morning at houston you have to like do the rat race at four in the morning for some reason unbeknownst to me but uh on the last day regardless of when my flight was i would always go see a movie by myself which if you don't go to movies by yourself i don't know what you're doing because it's the best ever i don't know why it's a thing especially for first dates what a terrible first date to like get to know someone not at all um because you're just sitting next to each other watching a movie and if you whisper to them you feel bad because you really shouldn't be talking and it's during a movie like we're not supposed to be talking during movies it's like a thing that's rude to do yet for some reason we have in our brains that it's great for first dates and it's a thing what we do with our friends no it shouldn't be don't do it with your friends do it alone it's great go treat yourself to one huge like refillable 64 ounce slushy that you end just being like kind of sick because you have like so much like coke mixed with blue raspberry like freeze inside of your stomach uh just go enjoy that experience alone be a glutton sit in that movie theater anyway so i did this for guardians of the galaxy i was in san antonio texas on 
on the Riverwalk there, which is a beautiful downtown area of San Antonio, Texas that has like this river that runs through the downtown area. It's really cool. And I was at an AMC movie theater and I walk in, the lady was like, do you, are you part of the military? Like asking if I needed a military discount and I don't know if anyone know, here knows what I look like, but I have a fairly large afro <laughs> hair. Uh, my hair is very curly and large. And I was like, do you think this hair was in the military? And she was like, well, you're sweet, so you get a military discount. So she gave me a discount, which was awesome. So awesome thing number one that happened. I go up to the movie thing, and I was getting like a Coke drink i was getting yes chad a drink of i was getting a fountain drink that was coca-cola and the guy was like anything else and i made a joke and i was like yeah you can put some rum in there and he was like oh just go walk over to that guy he'll put some rum in there for you and they actually had like a whole little like bar area where you could get these like ginormous like i got rum put into my like 64 ounce like fountain drink like a ton of rum it was awesome and i was shocked that it was legal so I went there. So second awesome thing that happened. And then I go into the movie theater. This movie theater, each seat was a reclining chair, like a lazy boy. It had like buttons on the side and it would kick back. And like I was like laying down. It was awesome. So much room. There was probably like 18 people in the movie theater. I had like the best seat right there in the middle, middle spot, middle row, just leaned back, had my huge rum and Coke. Now during the trailers of this movies, the uh, previews, the lights were on and I was like, no, I'm not going to watch a movie with the lights on. This is super lame. So I left the movie theater, found somebody and was like, Hey, the lights are on. Can you turn it off? turned them off and then i walked back in there and then as i was walking back in there one guy shouted he was like hey did you get him to turn the lights off and i was like yes i did and then everybody in the movie theater stood up and clapped for me because i helped <laughs> the lights go off and uh and you know of course i put on a show and bowed for everyone and it felt really really awesome being recognized as the guy to solve our collective problem and on top of my discount and my 64 ounce uh, disgustingly large amount of rum and coke and then on top of that guardians of the galaxy being just a fantastic movie it went and made it made for one of my favorite movie experiences of all time so really 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 enjoyed the first guardians of the galaxy cannot speak highly enough about it hopefully rocket raccoon is good but whatever man i'm just like <laughs> tired of them milking these titles for money and i'll end my movie talk thank you for humoring me i know this is a book podcast but uh, without evan being here i'm just gonna go off about um whatever is happening in my life and uh, we're talking movies right now so bear with me but the last thing that i'll mention is i watched the uh this is more about something that i, I watched the full thing from but i watched across the spider verse this is the second installment of the into the spider verse movie series it's like the animated spider-man movies and i'll be the first to acknowledge that they've made way too many <laughs> spider-man movies however these are my favorite of all of the spider-man movies bar none like into the spider verse was amazing the animation was unique it was stylized it was so radical just like very 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 well done and this the story was really good like just really top-notch film and across the spider-verse the second installment in this series was just more of the same it was it dealt with like these darker deeper issues that like i feel like are really relatable by a lot of people and I just found this movie not only to be like chock full of like good message and value, but also like really stylistically well done. Like just the graphics of it and the way that it's 
filmed is the wrong word, right? Because it's animated. So, however, it's it's drawn out, whatever uh, is the right word there. You know what I mean? It is just, it looks so freaking cool. And it's everything that I liked about Into the Spider-Verse and just more of it. And there was like this concept where like all of the like multiverse and all the whole Marvel things really into the multiverse um, idea right now that there's a, you know, parallel universes and galaxies and there's like many different Spider-Mans and they have this like Spider-Man hub where like all the Spider-Mans from all and Spider-Women's from all of the Spider-Verses can kind of meet and help each other in their uh, in their killing of the villains that are that appear in their various worlds and it's just a really cool really fresh take on the spider-man kind of tired story at this point and man but but it while it's fresh and new it also has a lot of callbacks to kind of like the old story that is tired at this point but also chock full of nostalgia and like that good those who have great power have great responsibility you know that sort of like oh nostalgic lines that we all just kind of eat up nom 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 goodness uh this is while fresh still has so much of that so if you have not seen into the spider-verse or the second one across the spider-verse i really recommend them they are awesome awesome movies both of them okay i'm done with movie stuff now let's go on to books so I read uh, and I'm reading Ruin, which is the third installment of John Gwynn's Faithful in the Fallen series. As many of you know, Evan and I are reading that. Evan and I uh, just this last week released and did the uh, full episode that we did reviewing and discussing kind of a deep dive on Valor, which is the second one in the Faithful and Fallen series. I'm like halfway, maybe a little less than that through Ruin. Um, Man, if you like the first two, you're going to like this book. As I think so far, at least, the writing quality is the best, for sure. And as much as I think that the word prose is bandied about like too much by the book community sometimes and used usually for a way for oneself to identify themselves as a true critique of the art of writing and storytelling and perhaps can be used to uh, falsely elevate oneself above the typical layman reader as they know fancy book words like prose, which literally means writing that doesn't rhyme or isn't measured or metered i guess you would call it it's not structured in like a in a in a sense of rhyme or or have like a metered structure to it um let's see here's the actual google provided definition uh in writing prose is a style used that does not follow a structure of rhyming or meter rather prose follows a grammatical structure using words to compose phrases that are arranged into sentences and paragraphs it is used to directly communicate concept ideas and stories to a reader so all writing that is not metered or rhyming. <laughs> That's what prose means. Uh, so anyway, my annoyance with the use of the word prose aside, his prose are way better in this book. Like they're just, you can, like the first, but this is his debut series and you can really tell, at least in my opinion, in the first two books. And this one's getting better. Like I'm not like, okay. Okay, like it's not as eye rolly. I'm not as like very old trope. That's not really that fresh, even though some people are like it's such a fresh take. Like it's really not, um, but it is good. And in this book, it's better. So this book kind of digs a little bit more into the side characters, which is pretty refreshing. As if you've listened to Evan and I's commentary on the story at all, uh, you know that we are both of the opinion that this book suffers from too many characters. And while all of the characters are interesting. It's hard to care having so many of them. And the story is constantly between switching between all of them. And 
I have a theory that I get rather more in-depth to in our episode on the second book, Valor, that we just released. So check that out if you want the in-depth rant. Uh, that these books and all of the characters, while they do take away from the overall experience of the story, um, is kind of all serving these what I call battlegasms, which is these very complicated and awesome battle sequences. Huge armies, multiple people and groups and warring factions all on the field of battle, meeting each other on one big battlegasm. It's just the best word for it that I can get. So it's like a violence of Palooza. And man, if there's one thing that John Gwynn does exceptionally well, it is these battlegasms. They are excellent. And you do kind of need to have an understanding of all of the different stories and all the characters in order to understand these battles fully and not only understand like the blocking and who's attacking who and who's betraying who and all of these machinations that make up the battle, but also you understand why it's important, what the emotional meaning is and what the emotional consequences are to some person winning or losing or being betrayed by uh, insert all of the different elements that can happen during a battle you really feel them while the battle is occurring and so you know these books are almost worth it having all of these different characters and while annoying to read about and have to keep track of all of them it does serve these battlegasm moments. So if you want to hear my in-depth rant about the battlegasmic deliciousness that are the battle sequences in John Gwynn's Faithful in the Fallen series, make sure you listen to our episode on Valor because I definitely probably go into it a little bit too far. But hey, that's what we're here for. <laughs> so... Uh, I'm going to keep on raving about these battles. I'm sure this is not the last time that you will hear me refer to my uh, coined phrase, the battlegasm, in reference to John Gwynn's books. So I can definitely see John Gwynn's uh, improvement in his overall writing style and the way that the story is taking place and the kind of depth that we are allowed to get to the characters, especially the side characters. There's a character group, Makin and Fidelis, who... I won't get into who or what they are, but they're kind of a side characters that generally speaking in the last book, you're like, why are they even here? Like they're cool and interesting. Like all of the characters are, but they're just taking away from my overall enjoyment of uh, the depth of enjoyment that I'm getting from the rest of them because they have their existence at all. Man, then this book, however, they kind of shine a little bit and they're kind of being elevated to a position of like, I really like their storyline and uh, I'm excited to read more about Makin and Fidelis. Their arc is really kind of uh, snagged my interest, let's say. So let's say. And, uh, I feel like we're getting a little bit more depth of writing. We're getting a little bit more depth of character as we get to spend some time with some of the ones that are kind of you question in the first why they're even a part of it. Uh, so I'm very much enjoying this. I think this is probably going to be my favorite one so far, at least. Though I'm only like 45% of the way through the book, I think this one's going to be probably my favorite. At least it's shaping up to be that way. It could make some turns in the in the 55% uh, of the book that I have remaining, but I think it's only going to keep getting better, as that seems to be the general direction that his writing just skill is going with these books. As you know, you can just tell this is not his debut book anymore. He's got some writing experience under his belt, and it's really shining forth and, and becoming a thing in this book. Uh, man, I will say that John Gwynn is a super big fan of blood oaths and revenge arcs. Like, we've got a lot of blood oaths and revenge arcs in these books, which, hey, I'm here for it. Uh, if that's what we need to drive a character into another battlegasm sequence, let's do it. I'm here for it. 
Um, but anyway, so showing off the growth of an author, battlegasms are awesome. I'll conclude my talk of uh, Ruin by saying that John Gwynn is certainly showing a growing love of slaying his characters. Like, this affinity really seems to come to the surface in this third installment of the Faithful and Fallen series, and I'm here for it. I love an author that is not afraid of just going to slay town on his characters and just murdering some, which, honestly, <laughs> if there's any series out there that needs to have a few bo- a few characters killed off, this is the one. So, when it comes to John Gwynn killing off his own characters, I say, more power to you, my friend. You slay away because character your book series has too many of them and i'm here for them dying so in a meaningful cool way you know not just like kill them for no purpose but kill them because we need less of them and your story will be better for it so i'm definitely here for that and i started this next book that i'm going to talk about uh last week but i'm going to begin by reading a quote from it the door set still as a mountain quiet and indifferent as the sea on a windless day this was not a door for opening it was a door for staying closed Unlike this book, which, of course, I'm talking about The Name of the Wind, which is a book for opening and reading and then immediately forcing upon a friend once you get it done so you can talk about it with someone. Though, fortunately for you, we have an amazing Discord community, so if you want to discuss it, go hop over there, as I'm sure there are hundreds, no doubt, who uh, would love to have a conversation with you about either the first book, The Name of the Wind, which is what I'm currently rereading, or Patrick Rothfuss' second book, The Wise Man's Fear. Hell, you can probably find even a few book folk willing to dig into the slow regard of silent things, or the narrow road between desires, which is the uh, two novellas that he's come out that are kind of side books that I think is Patrick Rothfuss' hope to kind of placate the book community who keeps shouting i mean i'm sure his dms are a nightmare of people being like when are we getting the third book when are we gonna it's been like a decade since we have had a wise man's fear which is the second installment in the king killer series and man people like brandon sanderson are certainly not helping old rothfuss as brandon sanderson can produce you know eight books over the course of like a month and a half and they're all super amazing and patrick rothfuss can't seem to write the third book in 10 years honestly i think he's kind of afraid of it at this point and and i would be too like i don't really blame him for being afraid of i do blame him for not writing the book and finishing it and kind of like writing it with his chest so to speak and and straightening his spine and moving forth regardless of the no doubt large amounts of criticism that he will receive regardless of the book that he ends up writing as the third one because there comes a point, and Evan and I have talked about this for the few authors that we've had on our um, podcast, where a story seems to get bigger than the author who wrote it. Like Game of Thrones, like that storyline no longer belongs to George R. R. Martin. It's become, it's kind of owned by the world at this point. You know, we've all kind of taken it and made it our thing, which is wonderful. I mean, that's like one of the biggest compliments and biggest like things that can happen to a book to show that it is massively wildly successful. Like if you can have the story be owned quote unquote by the world as a whole and be taken in uh, amongst the general populace, you are definitely able to retire off of the sales of that book like that is a wonderful wonderful thing 
for your bank account, but also I think would be rather intimidating and kind of scary to write the next installment of a series that is now owned by the world, so to speak, because you won't be able to satisfy everyone. And not that you can do that with any book in any series, but like, especially in these ones as like, you know, the internet is full of people predicting what's going to happen and thinking that they know what's up. And like, Oh my gosh, it's just, he is going to make so many people so sad regardless of the direction that he takes these stories and what he has happened. He will receive massive amounts of criticism. So while I blame him for not kind of bucking up and uh, strapping on his boots, so to speak, and trudging forward into the unknown of the third book uh, with his head held high, I don't blame him for being scared of doing it because it would be rather intimidating to get out the old pen and start a flicking that bad boy away to write the third book because, man, that's a, that's got to be a lot and really hard to receive that amount of like criticism and potential hate from people who have been waiting now so long for this book series and love the first two so much that, yeah, like I said, the story's kind of grown beyond him, and it would be very scary and intimidating to write the third one. So, Patrick Rothfuss, we're with you, man. Uh, whatever you write, regardless of how good and or bad it is, or perceived how good or bad, we want that third one. So, I know you're listening. Get out the old pen and write us that third book, because we would love it, regardless of what uh, all the haters are going to say. Because, also, on the flip side of... No matter what you write, there are going to be people, a lot of people who don't like it. There's also going to be a lot of people who do like it. And our tendency as humans uh, is to focus on the negative. You know, you can get, uh, you know, 10,000 comments on a video that you make and 9,990 of them are very positive and wonderful. You've got 10 that are talking about how terrible of an opinion you are and how weird your hands look or something ridiculous. And the only thing that we think about for the next 24 hours are those 10 that are making fun of how our hands look. (laughs) And we really allow those to get us down. And so I'm sure that Patrick Rothfuss is no different when it comes to human nature. Though I would say to him if he was looking for advice, which I've noticed he has not asked for my advice, but he will receive it nonetheless. Focus on the positive, my friend, because regardless of what you write there will be so many people who love it and i think i'll probably be no different because these books are amazing they're just so good if you have read them before you'll know that the quote that i started off talking about uh the name of the wind with is about the four plate door and then in kvothe's own words it is fair to say i have a gentle madness where secrets are concerned If something is kept from me, I cannot help but pursue and uncover it. But this particular secret drew at me more than any other. The university is the heart of all civilization. The archives is the heart of the university. What then lay here in the center of the archives? What was Valeritas? What indeed, young Kavoth? And I know the name is supposed to be, quote, like the symbol for denoting someone is speaking in writing, but I have a rule in book writing that I'm sure I've many of you are aware of that. I don't really care how a name is supposed to be said. I say it how I think is the coolest and the, it's spelled K V O T H E, I believe. And I think Kvot or Kivoth 
is the coolest way of saying that name. Just to me personally, I think it's a lot cooler than quote, at least, which just sounds lame. So I know I'm saying it wrong, Kivote or Kavoth or Kavot, uh, which I kind of use interchangeably in my own mind uh, as his name because I think those sound the coolest. So sue me, I guess. Sorry. I know that it's quote. I'm saying it wrong on purpose because it's right to me. So <laughs> I'm going to stick with it. What do you think? Uh, t- tell me in, uh, you can DM me on any platform or just talk to me about it in the Discord, but I'm interesting to, for those who have read it, what do you think is behind the four plate door? You know, Valeritas is similar to the word uh, Veritas, which means truth uh, in Latin. So perhaps the truth of who and what the Shandrian are, which is kind of this mystical evil group in these books that Kvothe, uh, you know, that killed Kvothe's parents, and he's kind of spending most of the books looking for information about so he can uh, get revenge on them for his parents. And I would love to hear everyone's opinion on what is behind the four plate door. But I'm a good ways into the name of the wind. Has anyone ever noticed that the map looks like a really close version of Europe? Like with a super skinny little Spain and like a huge island mass that's like Lear, I think, uh, the island of, that's like in the middle of the Mediterranean area, but it's very much Europe. I, he didn't really try too hard, it seems like, on that on that map. And, and I will say, you know, as much as I love Name of the Wind and rave about it, it's a bit pretentious. And like, I'm sure that's surprising nobody at this point. But pretentiousness aside, I think The Name of the Wind is the perfect book for kind of like the classic person, and I hear this all the time, who hasn't read for enjoyment. Um, maybe a little bit too much in like middle school or high school, you know, they used to read, but typically due to like the educational system, thoroughly convincing its subjects that reading is something to be done only with the beating stick of grades or like an essay or tests hovering closely over you waiting to carve lines of parental disappointment deep into one's back. You know, that was the only thing that fueled their reading for the last I don't know, 16 years or something. But maybe that wasn't the reason why they stopped reading. Um, And now in their mid to late 20s, they're like, man, I kind of want to like pick up a fantasy book series and wet their whistle, maybe seeking a book that can spark the old flame of that reading passion that they once possessed that for whatever reason has been smothered. (laughs) I would say that Patrick Rothfuss, The Name of the Wind, The King Killer book series is a really, really good book series for someone who is trying to reignite that spark, that passion, pick up The Name of the Wind and read it because dang, It is really, really good. There's just like secrets in there, you know, and there's, it kind of goes as deep as you want it to, you know, like Rafa's is make, make fun of him as you will and be annoyed at him for not releasing his third book as much as you want. You are totally free to do that. More power to you. But like, man, there's kind of like a rhythm in his, the phrases of his books. There's a level of polish in there that is just like, it's like choice. And there's like, secrets woven into these books like okay here's an example um since kivoth kivot learns that there are seven words to make any woman love you he's told that after he learns that if you pay attention to a lot of the sentences that he speaks to his love interest in the books a lot of the the sentences consist of seven words and so it's just little like easter eggs like that that are woven into these books that are just man it's some masterful writing it's so, so good and has a shine and a polish to this level of writing that is just, there's very few books in my opinion that 
can just shape their story so beautifully. Is it a, an original story? No. Is it super, you know, fresh in its take on some of the old tropes? Not even a little. Like, are there characters, entire uh, genders of characters as women <laughs> that are written pretty terribly? Yeah, totally, totally, totally. I get it. But like, man, again, to use a word that uh, I get annoyed with, the use of the prose in these books are, are beautiful. They're very, very good. I will say, you know, Kvot is the one telling us the story, and he's kind of an unreliable narrator. And the more and more I read these books, the more I think that that is true. Many times the legends of him being like super awesome is really just him like lucking out and making some idiotic decision and then luck stumbling his way through whatever situation he himself and only himself got his stupid idiotic self into, um, you know, because it's like. Even if you read the back cover of the book, it's like this person who's like legendary and does all these amazing things and got this maiden to love him and got this person to work, you know, just an incredible person. But really, if you actually read the story, he's really just kind of like idiot stumbling his way through them and kind of lucks himself into a lot of these things, though he is he is very wise and intelligent and like hyper smart. It's really maybe maybe Kvot isn't the legendary figure that he might want us to believe and in fact i find myself really liking the 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 shape that the story takes when it's told to us in third person like the present day i like that story method better like obviously it's not as interesting as what's happening in his past but i like that third person storytelling of this story more than i do the first person past tense that is the most of the story i don't know i feel like sometimes it we're hearing a lot of opinionated storytelling and that can get kind of annoying and just like, I don't know, it just kind of gets old a little bit. So I like the third party that is in the present day. So hopefully in the third book, we get caught up to present day, though I don't know how he's going to manage to do that. But I hope moving forward in the story after that is I think there will be some story after that, maybe even three more if he can ever uh, write them before like death or the second coming of Christ, whatever, which one of those events happens first. I think those will be more enjoyable told, and I hope at least that the story is told in a third-person perspective, not this first-person past tense that the rest of the story is told in, because I think it serves a little bit better, and I just find myself enjoying it uh, a little bit more. And I think Evan and I are going to, because he just finished Name of the Wind as well, we're going to do a full episode on it, so I'm sure we'll have a deep dive into that at some point in the next few weeks here, both uh, giving you all of the thoughts that we have in our brains about them, so make sure you stick around for that. Uh, I want to sh- say thank you again to Melanie, who last week, uh, during last week's Monday Morning Minute, I opened up all nine. She sent me an early birthday gift. My birthday is in 10 days, in fact, from now on the 26th of this month. But as an early birthday gift, she sent me all nine of He Who Fights Monsters, a book series that I have been really, really loving. So I started the sixth one. I thought I was a little farther in the series. I had taken like a month or so break from them, but I just finished the fifth one and I started the sixth. And uh, I thought I was a little farther, but I like started reading the seventh and I was like, I'm not in this book yet. So I was like, oh, I'm on the sixth one. It's an amazing, amazing book series. Uh, thank you, Melanie, again, so much for sending them. This is the first book that I've actually reading the physical copy of. I've listened to some on audiobook and I've read some on the Kindle that Evan gave me last year for Christmas that I've been really loving. Uh, but man, my experience of these books is only improved and my opinion is only better now because I have all nine of the physical copies, almost taking up an entire bookshelf on my shelf. Uh, have it, They have a 
a place of honor, Melanie, right in the middle, just, mm, and I just kind of like ooze over them every time like someone new comes into my house. I'm like, oh, oh, come check it out. And I have to show them my shelf containing all of the book series because they are a very, very welcome and proud addition of my book collection. So thank you again, Melanie. And I am really, really loving the sixth one of the book series. This is by Travis Deverell, aka Shirt Aloon. And man, they're just so dang good. Like, they're so good. So Jason, uh, if you want the like synopsis of the first one, Jason wakes up in a mysterious world of magic and monsters. It's not easy making the career jump from office supply store middle manager to heroic interdimensional adventurer. At least Jason tries to be heroic, but it's hard to be good when all your powers are evil. He'll face off against cannibals, cultists, wizards, monsters, and that's just on the first day. He's going to need courage, he's going to need wit, and he's going to need some magic power of his own but first he's going to need pants as he does in fact wake up naked this is a wonderful installment in the fairly new but wildly popular and growing uh, in popularity lit rpg subgenre of fantasy which is kind of like portal fantasy where the main character stumbles through like a portal in space time uh like starting in earth but now finds himself in a fantasy world full of magic deities and of course you guessed it lots of monsters which jason much you also guessed it, fight. So uh, Portal Fantasy, it's kind of like half that mixed with video game logic, where the main character has a rather like meta-like interaction with his growth and his skills. Like he has a skill sheet similar to a video game or a character sheet from D&D, where he actually can bring it up and like read his skills and he gets a new weapon and he has like a description and he can read the magical properties of various monsters and items and weapons that he runs into while out there fighting monsters. Um, so there's, like I said, a very meta relationship with his growth as a character and the skills that he possesses, being able to like actually read you his stat sheet. And so it's a really cool combination. The whole sub, uh, the whole lit RPG subgenre of fantasy is just a really cool and fun, fresh take on, like I said, kind of half portal fantasy and half meta video game fantasy and this love child is lit rpg an awesome genre that i've been really enjoying sinking my teeth into and that's what he who fights with monsters is of course jason is is very much like a deadpool character so he's like good full of snarky comments and while always fighting on the side of good his methods can be kind of disturbing and many times like kind of evil looking as his damage style is you would call him like a, a dot damage character which would be an acronym for damage over time that focuses on like plague-like disease magic like infection magic that slowly stacks over time like one of them like plaguing you reducing your hit points by like one every few seconds or something isn't a big deal but as jason using like his super sneaky plague fighting style will hit you more and more and more his stacks of this plague like curse magic eventually all the littles add up to a lot and then jason just like casually stands there usually hitting you with some snarky quippy comments while you rot away into nothing <laughs> in like a pretty gruesome way and so a lot of times you're like oh boy that seems really evil but he did just kill somebody who was like clearly a bad guy so it's a really fresh take on your hero trope that i super super love and resonate with quite a bit not that i'm evil or anything but you know i do really love it and and you know while it's snarky and fun and deadpooly and surface level a lot the book also plays with some deeper ideas such as like slavery and indentured servitude like a c- 
caste-based like class system in society and the problems with the society that's structured that way and some of the things that Jason does to undermine it. And the first few books don't seem to be like world-ending stakes so much. It is now, as I get into like the some of the farther later books, kind of flirting with some bigger world-ending, I guess you'd call it epic fantasy stakes as Jason ranks up his skills. And we definitely seem to be working up to some more epic level world-ending stakes as I get farther into the books. I will say that the end of book three takes an odd turn as something big happens without going into spoilers and the story in the epilogue, which goes on for like 10 chapters. It's the weirdest epilogue that I've ever read. It's like you like end the book. You're like, oh, there's still a lot more of this book. And then you have this ginormous epilogue that zooms way out. And we start following like some gods from like minor deities to major ones. We go like back to earth and see about some weirdness happening there. Like the story just gets a lot bigger in scope, kind of lending to these more world ending stakes that I was mentioning a minute ago. Part of me really liked the addition to this story and this epilogue being ginormous and like adding in a major multi-book plot line, but it's weird and it's huge. And it adds to the story in this like weird, huge way while interesting and unique. It's hard to say I liked it a lot, but I definitely can't say that I didn't like it. So I don't know. It was a weird thing to happen at the end of book three, but I'm just going to leave it with weird because I didn't like it and I it, and I didn't not like it all simultaneously. It was just odd and in, in, in a very long epilogue. So know that that's coming at the end of book three. It's weird, but I don't think that it takes away to the series uh, and can potentially, depending on how much it's stressed in the next few books, uh, I won't give anything away, can manifest itself in some like pretty cool, pretty cool ways and lends to the story for sure. So great book series, great magic system, interesting old ideas with a fresh twist, especially if you consider the lit RPG subgenre that it kind of exists within the the uh, container that the book uh, story sits in good villains it has a lot of meaningful internal and external struggles character growth and relationships lots of intrigue lots of action and battlefield tactics and strategy which you all know that i'm a big fan of uh, not large-scale army type tactics like john Gwynn is such a master of this is more of like a highly skilled team working and growing together to synergistically maximize their skills and combine them in a meaningful way that makes them more powerful and effective than those skills or talents would be on their own so i really love any sort of battle strategy like that and this book is just full of it so i highly recommend them there's nine of them and while that is a lot of books i get that and acknowledge yep ton of books and they're not short like the first one's like 850 pages you can just read the first one and find it fulfilling and complete in and of itself like you aren't required to then read all eight of the rest of the series you can just enjoy the first one wet your whistle with it though i'm not sure if we could consider 850 pages wetting one's whistle but hey when compared to the overall nine book series i'm gonna i'm gonna call it wetting one's whistle so uh it is what it is and it is awesome and i recommend it so If you're looking for something to read, read that. It's fresh, it's fun, it's quippy, it's full of action, and so many fighting, so much fighting of monsters, which is appropriate because it's called He Who Fights Monsters. All right, period on that. (laughs) I finished the Badlands Season 3, so I'm fully caught up with it. It's a fun show and i know i say fun way too much as a descriptor of books and movies but it truly is really fun not super deep uh cool action badlands really cool kind of post-apocalyptic world that struggles with 
technology being ripped away and everyone's now killing each other with swords. Pretty awesome. I really enjoyed it a lot more than I thought that I would. It's kind of hokey, so don't take it too seriously. But uh, if you're looking for something to maybe uh, have to on the side while you're doing something else, uh, I do a lot of freelance graphic design on the side, and it's very good to have like up on one screen while I graphic design on the other screen. While I design graphics on the other screen. That's probably a better way to say that. So if you're looking for something fun to watch, it is on Netflix, though it does say going away soon on the top of it. So I guess get, get it while the getting's good. Badlands, it has three seasons. It's fun. I would recommend it. Before we end this, wrap this up with the fun fact, which I'm going to do something kind of different for, because why not? It's just me, and I can do what I want. I do want to thank some countries, as uh, if you've listened to the Monday Morning Minutes before, I've been having a thing where I thank the countries that we rank the highest in, and uh, especially just coming off a couple-week break, it really means a lot to me that we still are even ranking in any countries in the top 100 list. Now, this is, for those who are wondering, like, what does that even mean? This is only from Apple Podcasts. It can be really hard to figure out podcast statistics of who's watching it, how it's ranked, simply because there's so many different platforms. Like, you know how many Instagram followers you have, right? Because it's on Instagram, you can see how many people are following you. But with the podcast you can watch them on amazon podcasts podbean uh apple podcasts shopify shopify uh, um, spotify there we go uh you can watch it on spotify google has a podcast network podcast fm there's tons of different podcast platforms to watch it on and aggregating all of the usage data and listener data can be really difficult to do so what i'm talking about when i say ranked in podcasts and the country-based thing is i'm looking just on apple Podcasts because it's really easy for me to get the data on that so this is just in podcasts and just the book and arts category there's every podcast on apple podcast is divided into these categories book reviews kill is in the books and art category of which there are forty four thousand. the last time i checked which was like a year ago so probably even a little more than that now um, but there's at least forty four thousand other podcasts in this same category so in order to be ranked in the top hundred of that category is out of forty four thousand, and seems to me like a pretty big deal it's really awesome and means a lot to me that we have uh, ranked so high in in some countries especially that we are still ranked in the top 100 in a few countries even after coming off of a two-week break it's just really meaningful to me and um yeah just a way of me thanking countries but really is generally more just a me of saying thank you everyone for being with the book reviews kill team evan and i through this awesome journey we're here for the long one. Oh, oh and i got to say this right now is the 250th episode of book reviews kill and though evan isn't here to enjoy the 250th episode with me i thought it worth mentioning as that's a big deal that we've uh, got 250 episodes out now a huge user base like i said we've even ranked in some countries that i've been teasing you with for a few minutes uh that we're ranked in the top 100 of and it's just really special it's been an awesome ride so i, I can't extend enough gratitude to you all listening and hanging out with me and us through this journey because it is uh, added a lot of value you to i know mine and i think i can speak very much for both of us uh it's added a lot of value to both evan and i's life so thank you so much for being here with us to get to the countries here uh the philippines killing it we are 21st out of 44,000 in the book and arts podcast category in apple podcast so go philippines thank you so much uh norway you guys have been on the top 100 list for a minute now a hot minute thank you so much um we are n- ranked number three 
33rd in Norway. In Portugal, we are the 45th, also one that has been uh, given us the top 100 list for many a moon now. So thank you, Portugal. South Africa, we are 48th, uh, which is great. Thank you so much, South Africa. It's a country I would very much like to visit. Uh, maybe one day in my sailing journey, I'll sail on by there and say hello to you all in South Africa. And then finally, we have Ireland coming in at 76th, which is super cool. Um, Ireland... I'm sorry that you always get designated as dwarves. Your accent deserves to be more than just dwarves. So sorry that you guys get stuck in the dwarf race of fantasy. It's cool enough that I think it should be relegated to a broader category of races, fantasy races. Sorry that you're always stuck to being dwarves, but... Thank you for being part of Book Reviews Kill. And then finally, though this is not on the 100th list, it's 101st, um, but it's a very large audience for us. I think it's the third behind the U.S., the U.K., and Canada. Um, New Zealand and Australia is usually somewhere in the top five list, too, but this one is third, which is a pretty big deal, um, and that's Canada at 101st. So almost made the top 100 list in Canada. Very, very close. So thank you so much, Canada, for being a part. It's really special to us, uh, especially since you are just uh, north of us, just a little ways. Evan and I both live in the wonderful state of Oregon. It is beautiful here. Evan lives in Portland, which is the largest city, of course, in Oregon. And I live in the little town of Bend, which is just gorgeous. If you ever get the chance to visit Bend, I very much recommend it. It's just a beautiful place to live. I'm very blessed to live here. If you take a dart and throw it at the state of Oregon and hit a bullseye, you will hit the town of Bend. Gorgeous little town. And if you're ever in my town we have really good water here and so as such we make really good beer and so there's micro brews just coming out of our ears here so if you're ever visiting bend get some micro brews and make sure that you send me a message as i would love to get a micro brew with you and show you the places to sip upon some brews <laughs> so make sure you send me a message if you ever visit i very much recommend bend it is beautiful okay and let's wrap up as we always do with the fictional fun fact i don't have a fictional fun fact for you uh i'm going to read you the first page of the name of the wind so if you are that person and needs uh something to kind of inspire you to re get back into reading and you're looking for something to wet your fantasy whistle and inspire that love that passion that you felt as a young buck reading fantasy books and has had that passion beaten out of you by being forced to read the great gatsby many times over and over and analyzing the hell out of it maybe this will help you because man like i said patrick rothfuss has amazing prose and I think after hearing this first page, you might agree, though I don't know how you couldn't. So uh, I'm going to read it because I want to and it's fun, which is called A Silence of Three Parts because it's just really good writing and certainly what you can expect kind of sets the stage for his writing for the rest of this book, which is just fantastic. Though one can find many ways to complain about it and things wrong with it and errors like we know, I know it's got so much that you can find fault with it, but Putting all that aside, it is also very good writing and a very good book. So, without further ado, the prologue to Patrick Rothfuss's The Name of the Wind, one of my favorite books, A Silence of Three Parts. It was night again. The Waystone Inn lay in silence, and it was a silence of three parts. The most obvious part was a hollow, echoing quiet, made by things that were lacking. If there had been a wind, it would have sighed through the trees, set the inn sign creaking on its hooks, and brushed the silence down the road like trailing autumn leaves. There had been a crowd, 
even a handful of men inside the inn, they would have filled the silence with conversation and laughter, the clatter and clamor one expects from a drinking house during the dark hours of night. If there had been music, but no. Of course there was no music. In fact, there were none of these things, and so the silence remained. Inside the waystone, a pair of men huddled at one corner of the bar. They drank with quiet determination, avoiding serious discussions of troubling news. In doing this, they added a small, sullen silence to the larger, hollow one. It made an alloy of sorts, a counterpoint. The third silence was not an easy thing to notice. If you listened for an hour, you might begin to feel it in the wooden floor underneath and in the rough splintering barrels behind the bar. It was in the weight of the black stone hearth that held the heat of a long-dead fire. It was in the slow back and forth of a white linen cloth rubbing along the grain of the bar. And it was in the hands of the man who stood there, polishing a stretch of mahogany that already gleamed in the lamplight. The man had true red hair, red as flame. His eyes were dark and distant, and he moved with the subtle certainty that comes from knowing many things. The waystone was his just as the third silence was his. This was appropriate, as it was the greatest silence of the three, wrapping the others inside itself. It was deep and wide as autumn's ending. It was heavy as a great river smooth stone. It was the patient, cut-flower sound of a man who is waiting to die. And that is the prologue to Name of the Wind, The Name of the Wind, excuse me, one of my favorite books. I very much recommend it, uh, and I very much appreciate you guys sticking with me through this Monday morning minute on the 16th of October, 10 days before my birthday, and I turn 34, I think, yeah, 34, without having to do the math, pretty sure I turn 34, I turn some age, uh, so thank you, uh, again, thank you, Melanie, for the books, very much appreciate it. Thank you all for sticking with me till the end of this Monday morning minute. Let's uh, all wish Evan a happy, happy time visiting with his family. For his sake, I will wish you all a happy reading. And for mine, of course, I will end with my classic. Bye, everybody.